This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. As you look at Abraham's journey of faith, you're going to see it's not a smooth sailing. You're going to find that he faced all sorts of challenges. He faced difficulties. He faced doubt and fear in his life. He faced his own demons. He faced sin and failure. He faced opposition of all sorts. And he faced many a temptation to stop counting stars when God said to him, count stars. But in the long run, the reason Abraham is the central figure, make no mistake about it, Abraham is the central figure in the Old Testament. And the reason for that is because he kept on counting stars regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the discouragement. He kept on counting stars when he could see none. All he had, basically, is God's own Word. The God of power and might spoke to him, and he said, that's it. That's enough for me. Here's what you got to understand. He did not have a Bible. He did not have a Bible study. He did not have a small group to go to. He did not have a discipleship program. He did not have a church. He did not have a preacher. Maybe that's for the best. But (laughs) all he had is the Word of the Almighty God, who said to him, Abraham, start counting stars. I know you have none right now, but you start counting. So I want you to turn with me, please, to Genesis 12. God commands Abraham. He said, Abraham, go out of your country. Leave your country and get out to a land that I'm going to show you. He did not go on Google Earth to check out and see what kind of land it is. He didn't have it. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, listen to me very carefully, because I want you to see in Abraham's life a mirror for your life and my life, because it is. For like Abraham, God called every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to come out of the old country. He called every one of us who came from the country of sin, because sin with which we are born, every one of us were in that country where we born turning our back to God. That's the old country for all of us. It's the country of sin. It's the country of rebellion. And it, to come to the living God. It's a country of pre-Christian life. It's a, it's, if you like, every one of us was born or came out of the Ur of Chaldees, just like Abraham. And then at some point, God said to every one of us, come and follow me. Get out of your life of sin. Turn away from the old ways with all of its selfishness, with all of its stubbornness and rebellion and wanting to do your own thing, with all of its selfish ambitions, with all of its confusion, with all of its lostness, with all of its doubt, and come and follow me. He said to every one of us, I will forgive your sins through the blood of my Son, Jesus Christ. I will heal your wounded spirit 
and your wounded soul. I'm going to bind your broken heart. I will adopt you as my child. I'll give you a new identity. I will give you a heart that desires obedience to me. I will adopt you as a child of the King of Kings, and you will become an heir, inheritor of all that belongs to Jesus. You will no longer be lost, but you belong to me. I will bless you as you trust me, as you obey me, as you walk with me, as you serve me. From now on, I wanted to start counting stars. Have you ever heard God say to you, when you become a believer, with all the joy and excitement of becoming a new believer, God says, okay, now you can start counting stars. And what your stars are different from mine and vice versa. I am the God of power and might. I called you to myself for a reason. Here's the tragic situation. And in many ways, that's what happened to Abraham that after we come to Christ, after we surrender our life to Him, after the joy and the excitement of knowing that I am a child of the living God, that God forgave me all of my sins, that He saved me eternally, that now I have this assurance of eternal life, after all the excitement's worn off, we get bogged down in our Haran. You say, what is that? Haran is the spiritual Las Vegas. Next message, I'll focus more on it. But in that spiritual Haran, what happens in Haran does not stay in Haran. (laughs) And there are many believers who get to Haran, the land of compromise and the land of confusion, and they never move to greater heights. The very thing that God called you for, the very thing that God saved you for, the very thing that God redeemed you for. We never move to this greater land of promise and blessing, what the Bible calls moving from one point of glory into another. We begin well, and we start well when we say yes to Jesus, but then before long we begin to mix the old with the new. I am praying to the Lord that He will use the series of messages to challenge us like He's never challenged us before. Challenge us to do what? Challenges us to give up mediocrity, to throw away half-hearted faith, to throw away Haran living, to throw away the temptation of going into Egypt and staying in Egypt, to throw away doubt and disobedience and begin to move to higher planes of God's power and might and glory. Amen? Don't ever forget that when God called Abraham, Abraham and his whole family were idolaters. They were worshiping idols. In fact, many, many, many years later, his grandson Jacob goes back to Abraham's ancestors, and there his uncle Laban kept idols. In fact, his wife Rachel stole them. The idol worshipers, they were not super spiritual. (laughs) They were worshiping idols. (laughs) There is nothing more offensive to God than when His own children, who claim to know Him, who claim to love Him, those whom He redeemed and those whom He saved, begin to mix the old life with the new life. You say, Michael, how do you know that? In the book of Revelation, Jesus makes it very clear when He speaks to the believers in the city of Laodicea, 
who were having one foot in the world and one foot with God, with Jesus. And he said, your lukewarmness is making me want to vomit. I wish you were either cold or hot. And when Abraham got halfway to Canaan, he decided to stay in Haran. Now, admittedly, they, some of the historians say it was his father's influence. In fact, right after his father died, he moved on and continued in the journey. But Haran is always a symbol of compromise. 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 And when God had to come and get him out of Haran, God was a zealous God, and he wanted him to leave that life of half-heartedness. Now, some Christians believers, they cannot take being falsely accused of all sorts of false things. They are all false, that we are unloving, that we are prejudiced, and that we don't believe in equality. And all of these false accusations, I have known some pastors who, because they could not stand these false accusations, they decided to compromise with the world in order to be accepted. Beloved, listen to me. We should not be surprised that the world hate us. Jesus said it. He said, the world will hate you because they hated me. The world will ha- hates our righteousness. The world hates our uprightness. The world hates our biblical standards. And that should not surprise us. In fact, we should be expecting it. Let me show you from the Scripture. In the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 7, it says of Noah, by his faith he condemned the world. Noah didn't condemn the world. He actually was inviting people to come into the ark. He wanted to save the world. Ah, but the world felt condemned by the faith of Noah. And you don't even have to open your mouth. Your uprightness is going to make those who hate God angry. Don't be surprised. In fact, you need to rejoice when you're falsely accused. That's what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Rejoice when they're falsely accused you for my sake. And God asked Abraham to leave all of his past behind, to leave what is dear and near behind, to leave it and move to the place that he's never seen and maybe even never heard of. And so Abraham found himself nearly alone. But he really wasn't alone. He had Yahweh, and that's everything. Genesis 12, look at verses 2 and 3. God made certain promises to Abraham, and God makes those promises to everyone when we repent of our sins and turn to the living God. He makes those promises. Not only forgive your sins, I'm going to walk with you. You're my child. I love you. You'll never, ever be forgotten or forsaken. And here's what he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Uh, You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make sure that the whole world be blessed through you. How many I wills did you count? But also Satan says, I will. Did you know that? In Isaiah chapter 15, Satan said, I will, five times. In Isaiah 15, here's what he said. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. I will sit in a throne on the Mount of Assembly. I will ascend above the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. 
And for this boasting, he got kicked out of heaven. But in Genesis 12, there's also several I wills. Don't miss them. I know, and many of you would testify to this, whenever I say, I will, I get into trouble. (laughs) Whenever God says, I will, and I go along with God, I get blessed. In fact, here in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham seven things, to be exact. Seven things. In return, all he asked Abraham to do is to walk away from his past. Walk away and leave behind the old country with all of its idols, with all of its idol worship, to a land that he will show him. Let's look at these sevenfold blessings together. By the way, Every one of those sevenfold blessings fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you from the Scripture. Every one of them, who according to the book of Romans and Galatians, the seed in the singular of Abraham. Blessing number one, I will show you a land. By the way, as you read those blessings, make a note. You're going to find a natural progression You move from one point of glory into another. You don't get stuck in the Christian life. There is a progression. The first blessing, he says, I'll show you a land. Go to the very last, the seventh and the last one, he says, I'll give you a land. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I'll show you a land, but I'm going to give it to you. You go from seeing to receiving. And that is why a total trust is a key. What is the started as I show you a land, being you'll possess the land. God often works that way with you and me. He really does. (laughs) He begins by saying, I'm going to show you great blessings that are all yours and stored for you as you walk with me, as you serve me, as you place me first and foremost in your life all the way to saying, you're going to possess, you're going to rule and reign with Him forever. That always gets to me. It really does. Whenever I choose, my goodness, I get clobbered. But whenever God chooses and I follow His choice, I am totally blessed. I know many of you would testify to that too. But please, please, please be careful when you adamantly want your way. When you say, I want this, I want this, I want this. You know, God might give it to you for a time, might let you have it for a time, but be careful because a blessing is not on the other end. But when He takes you by the hand and take you to where He wants you to go, you get blessed out of your socks. Blessing number two, I will make you a great nation. Now, this is the first of many unconditional promises that God made. And just as well as being unconditional, because if it was conditional, He would never have made it. If it was conditional on Abraham's perfection, if it's conditional on Abraham's performance, if it's conditional on the faithfulness of his descendants, they would never have made it. These folks, I'm talking about Abraham's descendant, they messed up royally again and again and again. In the Scripture, we see it clearly that there are conditional promises, that there are unconditional promises. Here's the problem. Many Christians confuse the two, and they go and claim from God 
a conditional promise without meeting the condition. Are you with me? When God chose us in Christ, that was His pure grace. It is unconditional, had nothing to do with us. We had nothing that would endear us to Him. We had nothing to do with it. But then in our Christian walk, there are a number of conditional promises. And I want you to remember this. When God made that unconditional promise to Abraham, Abraham, as I said, was 75 years old, and Sarah, his wife, was 65. And that's not it. I mean, the fun is still to come. (laughs) It made no difference. When God says, start counting stars, they were retirement age. They were drawing Social Security, if there's such a thing over there. (laughs) Counting stars when you see none. That is faith in the biblical, pure biblical sense. But God, I'm old. Start counting stars, Abraham. Oh, but God, what if I wander away from your will? Keep counting stars, Abraham. Oh, but God, what if my descendants get away from you? Start counting stars. Oh, but God, what if my descendants become idol worshipers? What if they worship Baal down the road? You keep on counting stars, Abraham. But God, what will happen if this takes place or that takes place? You keep counting stars. Why? Because the greatness of his descendants was a spiritual greatness. Because this unconditional promise is fulfilled in his one and only descendant, the seed of Abraham in the singular, not in the plural, Jesus Christ. And millions of people today around the world come to worship the living God because of Jesus and because all of these blessings are fulfilled in Jesus. And everyone, Paul said, who is follower of Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. No wonder in John chapter 8, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. They got so mad. (laughs) I mean, they want to kill him. Blessing number three. I will bless you. You personally. Did you get that? I'll bless you. That's another thing that gets to me. The promise of making him a great nation when he has no children, that in itself is mind-boggling. That in itself is is absolutely mind-shattering. But God says, no, in addition to that, Abraham, I'm going to bless you personally. Now, beloved, I can testify to the fact that in the last few decades, and I'm witnessing to the Lord, I'm not witnessing to me, I'm witnessing to Him, (laughs) With all of my heart, I sought the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Every waking moment, I seek to serve and glorify Jesus. And to my utter, overwhelming amazement, I get blessed in the process. I did not expect it, but that's the way God works. Hear me right, please. There is nothing wrong with you to ask God to bless you. Did you get that? There is nothing wrong with it. I just happened... Not to ask God for it. I just ask God 
to bless the ministry and the work of my hand. I spend my time praying for others and praying for the kingdom of God. I spend my every waking moment seeking first the kingdom of God. But in the process, I get blessed out of my socks. Blessing number four. I will make your name great, and you will bless the world, or the world will be blessed by you. To be sure, for 4,000 years, Christians, Jews first, Christians and Muslims, they all claim Abraham for their father. But what's the name of Abraham stands for? That name stands for immovable faith and trust in the living God. (laughs) The name stands for what God promised. That name stands for what God had done. That name stands for God's faithfulness. And so, God changed His name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14 tells us that Abraham's greatest descendant by far is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world is blessed by coming to Jesus. Today, the whole world is blessed by that one descendant of Abraham. People from every nation, from every tongue, from every tribe, they are saved and they are redeemed, and they are rejoicing in their salvation, even in the midst of persecution, because of that one descendant of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessing 5 and 6. I'm going to move very quickly. I did not leave much time. But he says, I will bless those who bless you. Then he said, I will curse those who curse you. Throughout history, we see that in the Old Testament particularly. God fulfilled that promise again and again and again and again. I wish I had time to give you a lot of examples, but a couple of examples. When Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, was sold into slavery in Egypt, the Bible said that God blessed Egypt because of Joseph. Rahab, the prostitute, when they finally were turning, going into the promised land, into Canaan, the Bible said that God blessed her and her family because of what she did for Israel. And on and on and on I could go on how God fulfilled this promise literally and spiritually in every other way. Now, as believers, and if you stand up in any way for your faith, there are going to be enemies. You don't make enemies. I can tell you as the Lord my witness— I have no enemies. There's nobody who's my enemy from my point of view. (laughs) It doesn't matter what. They're not my enemies. But they set themselves as our enemies. We don't do it, but they do. They view themselves as our enemies. And we don't have to fight them in any way whatsoever. In fact, we stand still, and He will fight the battles for us. For God promised If they continue in their enmity, He will take care of them, and He does a far better job than any of us can. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I was talking to a young man. He was so angry of some injustice that happened to him, and he was angry, and he wants to do something. I said, the blessing of living a little longer is I watched God do a much better job. Be patient. And sure enough, a few weeks later, God took care of that problem for him and proved his faithfulness. Blessing number seven, I will give your offspring this land. At the time when this promise was given, Abraham 
had no offspring, and he had no land. (laughs) But that's not all. Abraham and Sarah died, and they were buried without owning land. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And yet 400-plus years later, God fulfills His promise to the descendants of Abraham, and they received the land of promise. God's promises, beloved, listen to me. God's promise, it will be fulfilled in the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the tenth generation. God's promises are more real than I'm standing right here in front of you. Let me tell you this as I conclude. Jesus made a number of promises that you can literally take to the bank. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29, He said, Come unto me. Come unto me, all who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. And I don't know about you, and I don't know where you are in your walk. You may be carrying a refrigerator on your back. And you may be feeling so burdened and so weary and so tired, but this is a promise of God to you. You come to Him, and He will unload that load on Himself. He already has done that on the cross anyway. In Matthew 19, 21, Jesus' word to the rich young man, He said, If you want what is eternal, give up your idols, give them away, and come and follow Me. And there you're going to have untold treasures in heaven. This, my beloved friends, is the principle of God's calling to Abraham. Leave behind your country. Leave behind the old people. Leave behind your land. Leave behind your household. And go to the land that you cannot see, but I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. And I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And I will give you the land. The Bible said Abraham obeyed not because he had seen any evidence with his own eyes. He didn't even know where that land was, but he believed God. He took him at his word. Beloved, listen to me. When you place your whole confidence and trust in God's word, even when you see no evidence whatsoever, God will keep you on counting stars. That, my beloved friends, is honoring to the Lord. And that is the kind of faith that God honors. Father, your promises are clear. Your promises are faithful because you are faithful. And we place our faith not in a man, not even in an assembly, not in a church, not in pastors, but we place them squarely on the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Him all the promises are yea and amen. And we thank you that He and He alone can truly bless us and make us a blessing. May we seek Him with all of our hearts in the days to come. In His name I pray. Amen. Amen. 